0: So, please sit down. As you know, we've been thinking about telling the story. We've been thinking about the Old Testament to begin with. We've looked at creation. We've looked at the fall. We've looked at Abraham and Isaac and Ruth and uh, who else? Um, anyone else? That I've forgotten. Job last week, of course. And so this week, we're moving into the time of Jesus, into the New Testament. So, I want to tell you a story. And this story begins at the Jordan River. Now, John the Baptist had been baptizing and the crowd had been coming to him. He'd been baptizing for repentance. And Jesus came to him too. And he was baptized. And as he was praying, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus like a dove uh, in bodily form and descended upon him. And then a voice from heaven came. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, Jesus was about 30 years old at the time, and this is when his public ministry began. And he was known as the son of Joseph. And Joseph could trace his lineage way back. He could trace his lineage back through David, uh, through Abraham, through Noah, and then right back to Adam himself. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was sent into the wilderness, into the desert. Uh, By the spirit and there he was tested for 40 days and for 40 nights. And it's a bit of an understatement to say that at the end of this period of time, he was very hungry. In fact, he was famished. And so the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, why don't you just turn one of these stones into a loaf of bread? And Jesus replied, human beings do not live by bread alone. And then the devil, he showed uh, Jesus all the kingdoms and lands of the earth. And he said, all of these belong to me. They're under my control. And you and I have the power to give them away. So you can have all the glory and all the fame and all the power associated with ruling over these kingdoms and these lands. There's just one catch. You need to bow down to me. And Jesus said, Scripture says, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then for a third time, the devil said, if you are the son of God. Then if I take you up to the highest place in the temple um, in Jerusalem, you can throw yourself off. You can jump off because scripture says he will command his angels concerning you. He will They will hold you up and you won't even stub your toe. Jesus said, it is also written, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. So the devil left Jesus, but he was waiting for an opportune time to test him again. Full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus went into the region of Galilee and he went to the synagogues and he went all over preaching and healing in God's name. And he came to his hometown of Nazareth, the place where he had grown up, the place where his father had a carpenter shop. And as it was his custom, he went to the synagogue. And uh, the attendant handed him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. And so he took the scroll, he unrolled it, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has appointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bring release to the captives. To bring sight to the blind and to allow the oppressed to go free. And to proclaim the year of of God's favour. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. Everybody was staring at him. Everybody was looking intently at him. After a while, Jesus said... Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, as you can imagine, some of them were thinking, this is amazing. He speaks with such authority. But others were thinking, this is just Joseph's son. We know him. How dare he say this sort of thing? Jesus knew what they were thinking and he said to them, I suppose you want me to prove myself to you. No prophet is without uh, I suppose you want me to prove yourself, myself to you. You want me to do miracles like you've, you've heard me doing in Capernaum. Well, I tell you, no prophet has honor in his hometown. Just look back at the Old Testament, just look back at our scriptures, where we had first of all, Elijah and Elijah. He was there in Israel at the time of great famine, those three and a half years of famine. But who did he actually give relief to? Well, it was a foreigner. It was the widow of Zarephath. That was the only person that Elijah went to. And then what about Elisha? What about all the leprosy that there was at that time in Israel? Well, who did Elisha heal? He went to Naaman. He went to Naaman the leper. And who was he? He was a Syrian. He was a foreigner. They became incensed. What was he saying? That they weren't good enough? That actually God's favor was to rest on those who were not Jews. They became so incensed. That they chased him out of the temple. Said you're never going to come here again. And they chased him to the end of the town. Where there was a high place like a cliff edge. And they were about to push him off the edge of the cliff. But somehow he managed to slip away. So this. Is the beginning of Jesus' mission and ministry on earth. And I just want to think about two things. I want to think about identity and about significance. They're two very basic human needs, aren't they? That we all need to know what our identity is and we need to know what is our significance, what is our purpose, what is it all about, what are we all about. So let's think about what we've heard. I mean, it raises all sorts of questions, and that's one of the things we're trying to do in this series is help us think about questions that Scripture raises, not to be afraid to ask questions. The first question is, why on earth was Jesus baptized? A baptism of repentance, even. Here was a perfect man, and yet he was baptized by John. Well, I think part of the answer is that he was wanting to identify himself with us. That he was identifying himself with his sinful brothers and sisters, human brothers and sisters. And of course, the genealogy, and I didn't memorize all of it, um, the genealogy tells us that in Joseph's line, he went all the way back to Adam, to the first man. And I think there's something really important about Jesus' humanity, that Jesus is fully human. It's not just, he's not just a, a superman with a disguise on. He is fully human and truly human. That's at the heart of what we believe. But then, of course, when Jesus was baptised, as he was praying, the Holy Spirit came upon him and God says to him, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So we know that Jesus is also the Son of God. He is divine. He is fully divine. He is fully human. And we'll be expressing that a bit later on as we say the Nicene Creed together. So Jesus' identity was as fully uh, human, but also fully divine. And in his humanity, he identifies with us. But the other thing that's really interesting is that yes, he's fully divine, he's fully human, but we see in the temptations that the devil places upon him, we see that Jesus actually empties himself of his own power. We read that in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus emptied himself. And that actually he was reliant upon the power of the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit when he's baptized. He's sent out into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. And then in a moment we'll see... He went preaching and teaching around Galilee full of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus was the son of God, but actually he was fully dependent on the father. He was fully dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to equip him and enable him to do the work that he had been called to do. So what about the temptations? What about the temptations? I've been thinking a lot about these temptations and I'm trying to, I was trying to think, you know, are these temptations, temptations that were just unique to Jesus? Are they temptations that have some sort of generic application to all of us? I think it's probably a bit of both. But we may also have specific temptations that are particular to us. Often our temptations come at our point of strength, actually. Not our point of weaknesses. Because we can become proud and arrogant. So let's think about the temptations of Jesus. First of all, the temptation to turn stones into bread. You know, again, very obvious question, you know, he was hungry. He was very hungry. Why on earth shouldn't he have just turned these stones into bread? He had the power to do so. But actually, again, it's about relying on God. It's about relying on God to provide. As we pray, as we'll pray a bit later, give us this day our daily bread. Did you notice that a lot of what Jesus quoted was in the reading that Maura read to us from From Deuteronomy, Jesus was very deliberately using scripture um, from the time um, of the Old Testament, from the time of exile, um, from the 40 days of wandering in the wilderness. There's lots of very strong connections with what was going on here in the wilderness for Jesus being tested and tempted. But yet the difference being that Jesus was without sin. So there's something about us relying on God's provision relying on God's provision for us and um, not expecting him to sort of be like a celestial slot machine who provides stuff for us, but actually allowing him to provide for us in all sorts of ways that we might not expect. And then the second temptation, you know, he's shown all the kingdoms of the world and he's promised glory and power and fame, I guess. And in different ways, all of those things are temptations for us, are they not? You know, the temptation to wield power, to be famous. I mean, in today's culture, being famous is seen as an aspiration in itself. You don't have to be, actually achieve anything. Just being famous is, that's it. And then, of course, it's such an empty promise, isn't it? You know, people become famous, and then they realize there's nothing there. There's no substance, although some people try and make quite a long career out of simply being famous. <laughs> and the glory, you know, that, look at me, look at me, look how wonderful I am. Yet Jesus came be a very different type, to exercise a very different type of power. He exercised a power that was full of humility, that was about service. What about us, those of us who have positions of influence? And we all do. It might be within our families. It might be within our street where we live. It might be within a, a club that we belong to or a voluntary organization that we're part of. It might be in our workplace that we have positions of influence and power. But how do we use those? Power is, is quite a dangerous substance. We have to be careful how we use it. Because often, the consequences of exercising power inappropriately or trying to grab power is that there is something in the background that we're going to have to worship. It probably won't be the enemy and the devil directly, but it might be some sort of other idol that we begin to worship, whether that be wealth or whether that be prestige or status. That we, we sacrifice... Um, What should be our true focus, which is worshipping the Lord our God, serving him only. We sacrifice that and create other idols for ourselves. And then thirdly, the temptation to jump off the um, highest point of the temple. You know, the temptation to abuse God's power. To abuse God's power. And again, Jesus resisted that temptation. He said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so, what about us? Are there ways in which we abuse the power that has been given to us? In which we even sometimes, you know, I see this in Christian circles. People abuse spiritual power. You know, and if God has gifted them in certain ways, they then began to begin to see that as their own. You know, I'm very wary about talking about my ministry. I mean, I do say it, but actually if I think about it, I won't ever use that phrase, my ministry. God has given me a ministry. It's his ministry. It's not my ministry. It's not mine to possess. It's mine. My job is to be obedient to what God is calling me to do. And to exercise the ministry that he has given to me in partnership with him. It's not mine. And similarly for us, whatever our particular strengths and weaknesses are, it's all a gift. It's all grace. Everything we have is the Lord's. The splendor, the majesty, everything It comes from God. And the difficulty comes when we start holding on to it. Because when we're holding on to things, it makes it very hard for us to give. Because actually we've got to drop that stuff to be able to give things away. And then that leads us on to Jesus' amazing statement, his sort of mission statement, if you like, quoting from the prophet Isaiah. I mean, can you imagine being there? And they're sitting there saying... He's reading these words about himself. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. To proclaim release to the captives. Sight for the blind. That the oppressed should go free. That the day of the Lord is here. And I think there's a link between when Jesus was baptized. And the father says this is my son in whom I am well well pleased. Or another way you could put that is on whom my favour rests. Jesus then proclaims the year of the Lord's favour. And in effect, actually he is the embodiment of that proclamation. That he has come to embody what God wants for us. That we would know that release from poverty. We would know that release from the imprisonment that we often uh, find ourselves in. And then that we in turn would be people go out, and who are those who bring release to those who are captive. And of course, Jesus is referring both to literal prisoners, to literal poverty, to literal oppression, and my, you know, my goodness, there's plenty of that in our world, isn't there? There's plenty of that just in our neighborhood, of people who are literally poor, literally uh, bound with all sorts of ailments, or with their own fears, or illnesses or whatever it is, who are oppressed in all sorts of different ways. And our job is to proclaim the year of the God's, God's favour. To say, there's great news. There's great news. Jesus has come to bring liberation and bring freedom and bring release. But the thing is, that's only going to be possible for us to tell that story, which is what we're, this is all about. It's about us telling the good news. If we have received it for ourselves. So what about our identity? Where does our identity come from? Does it come from the stuff we own? From the things we've achieved? Or does it come from knowing that we are a child of God? That we are sons and daughters of the living God? Is that where our identity comes from? And then what about our significance? Where does that come from? Does it come from um, our ambition and our drive to do all sorts of things? Or our ambition and our drive for our families to be happy and successful? Not bad things in themselves. But actually our bigger driver should be that we are people who are called to proclaim freedom. To proclaim release. That is what we are called to do. We are called to be disciples of Jesus. Jesus who follow in his footsteps and do the things that he did. As mind-boggling as that might seem. But again, we don't do that in our own strength. We do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. We do that in those everyday interactions we have with people. When we just speak words of truth and words of light, words of freedom into people's lives, just in often very gentle ways telling people a better story than the one they're being told. Because the stories we're being told by our politicians and others at the moment are all pretty dire. They're bad news stories about how doom and gloom that awaits the world. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to pretend there's not some very serious issues that we face in this world at the moment. But actually, rather than becoming mired in that doom and gloom ourselves, we need to tell a better story. We need to tell a better story that there is freedom, there is release, there is forgiveness, there is grace that we can receive through Jesus Christ. So Jesus knew his identity. He knew his significance. What about us? Do we know our identity as children of God, as people who are forgiven and set free do we live as if we're set free do we know our significance of people who have good news to proclaim who are called to live as light called to be ambassadors of reconciliation to bring hope instead of fear, we're we're in a fear culture aren't we and politicians play upon that fear but we don't need to be afraid because we have an eternal hope Amen.